Good morning. We will be reading from Mark chapter 7, verses 1 through 13, which you'll find on page 934 in the Blue Bible under your chair. If you don't have a Bible, please take the one under your chair as our gift to you. Mark chapter 7, verses 1 through 13. Now when the Pharisees gathered to him with some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem, they saw that some of his disciples ate with hands that were, de- that were defiled, that is, unwashed. Can anybody relate to the unwashing of hands lately? For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands properly, holding to the tradition of the elders. And when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And there are many other traditions that they observe, such as the washing of cups and pots and copper vessels and dining couches. And the Pharisees and the scribes asked him, Why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat with defiled hands? And he said to them, Well, did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as it is written, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. You leave the commandment of God and hold to the tradition of men. And he said to them, You have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your tradition. For Moses said, Honor your father and your mother, and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, If a man tells his father or his mother, Whatever you would have gained from me is korban, that is, given to God. Then you no longer permit him to do anything for his father or mother, thus making, the word of the, thus making void the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down, and many such things you do. This is the word of the Lord. Am I on? Yes. I've had a, a request to uh, make sure that you can all hear me. Can you all hear me? Yes, okay, very good. It is awesome to lead a group in worship to look out and know that there are so many people with so many needs. And uh, I pray that the message today would would help guide you, help meet needs. Uh, We're going to look at these crazy Pharisees and the, and the scribes, they're, they're, they're at it again. Uh, they're, they're hypocrites, and uh, oh boy. Uh, in chapter 2 of Mark, they're angry at Jesus because he spent time with sinners and tax collectors. They're angry because the disciples don't fast like they do. Uh, they, you know, they, and they plucked grain and ate it on the Sabbath. And Oh man, that's, that's bad too. In, in Mark 3, they respond to Jesus healing a man with the withered hand on the Sabbath. And you're not going to believe this. They, they plotted to kill him <laughs> because he wanted to, oh boy. So we're going we're gonna to poke at these, uh, 
these religious leaders again. In chapter 7, they're, uh, they're gathering. It says it came from Jerusalem. Mark the Evangelist gives us a detailed picture of this dispute, the dispute that they have with Jesus. The dispute was that the disciples were eating with defiled hands and uh, improperly washed hands. And, and yes, in the age of COVID, Teresa, you're right. We, we, we see ourselves washing our hands uh, too much. But they'd, they'd come in from work and they'd wash and then they'd sit down to eat and then this was a, a ceremony, a ceremonial washing that they did. Um, and the disciples were not doing that and oh no, defiled hands, you know. Uh, Mark lists some other traditions that were not uh, needed to be followed. Uh, ceremonial washing of cups, pots, dining couches. I'm not quite sure what that looks like. I got to think about that one. There's a definite ring of irony that borders to silliness for us today as, as we read this. And it is. He's, he's being ironic. Uh, and in verses 3 and 4, we have uh, the details of this dispute. First, they were to wash properly, you know. And, and then they violated tradition. There was a lack, a perceived lack of respect for religious leaders, elders, and so forth. And finally, Mark tells us that all the Jews ritually washed their hands. And so you can see, you know, is Jesus telling them that uh, he's, is, are the religious leaders telling Jesus that he's leading them away from acting like Jews? Is he leading them away from being uh, uh, un, a good Jew, uh, un-Jewish? No such word as un-Jewish, by the way, but I like that. Yeah. What would you do in this situation? You see the problem, authority figures accusing Jesus of not respecting religious traditions and his heritage. Uh, and then in verse 6, you see Jesus, he throws it back at them, he calls them hypocrites. It's a little harsh, isn't it? Um, but he calls them hypocrites, and then with a quote from Isaiah, and there's more irony here, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. They were clinging to traditions and, 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 and the world, and what about God? Where is God? Well, he calls them hypocrites. So what's hypocrisy? A hypocrite is an individual who professes one thing when they are something else. The Greek word indicates play actor. They're pretenders, posers. Uh, they try to convince you that they are something they're not. A hypocrite engages in unethical behavior while condemning it in others. It's a heart problem. 
And that's exactly what Jesus was, was getting at here. This people honors me with their lips. Their lips are moving, but where's their heart? It is far from God. Let's look at the heart. What is the heart? And this is a, a, a crucial concept for Christians to understand. It's a fascinating idea. If you follow the word heart through the Bible, you'll notice that the basic idea uh, that the ancients, the ancients understood is a little different from our view of the heart in popular culture. Today, cars, heart, gasoline, and we all heart St. Louis, right? Yeah, and, and I love, you know, it's adorable. Little children will go, I heart you, mommy, but, but that's not what Jesus was talking about. That's not the biblical idea of heart. It's a deeper, more wonderful approach in the scriptures. I'm going to give you a one-word foundational thought to guide you in understanding what the heart is in the Bible. One, one word. And how many of you think it's love? Nobody. Good, good. It's not love. It's center. The, the single unifying thought about heart in the Bible is it is the center, the core, the essence, the whole person that we are. Some of you might be thinking, hey, the center of who I am is not in my chest. This is my blood pumping organ. This is my heart up here, my brain. But the ancients, they did not understand the brain. You're correct. This is, this is where our heart is at, but they, they, they were not into understanding the brain back then. But we are, are learning more and more about the brain all the time. And the heart in the Bible is used over a thousand times. And it, it's basically three aspects. It's one of those, those difficult words that means something based on its context. Um, in the Bible, we can see it refers to emotional resources, uh, intellectual ability, and our will. You know, uh, so in today's language, we might use phrases like, have heart. You've got to have heart. Or, where's your heart? Where's your heart? And it's, so it's referring to our thinking processes, intellectual ability, and yet our feeling, our emotions. But will is in there, our decision-making. Uh, most of the time, these are linked together, and that's what makes understanding the heart a little more difficult. Uh, for example, in John 14, Jesus said, let not your heart be troubled. Okay? Emotion. Believe in God. So we've got intellect here. Believe also in me will, decision-making, and they all come together in the heart. The heart is more than your mind. Some people will just say, oh, well, that's, that's, yeah, that's my mind. But the, the great command in Mark 12, verse 30, Jesus stated, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. So the heart is a little bit more than just thinking. Um, 
Uh, I've, been, I've seen another suggested translation. You shall agape, sacrificially love God with all your heart. That is to say, with all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. Again, it's linked together. So my prayer is that we would see the biblical heart referring to the center, the core of our life, the essence of who we are. And this is a broad, far-reaching view. Uh, the modern approach would be to divide, categorize, list parts. But God's word drives us to understand our hearts as together, linked. The hypocrites here had hearts, the center of their lives, that were far from God. What does this look like? Verse 7 tells us, In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines, commandments of men. It is vain, worthless worship. We are here today to worship. Commands of men taught as being equal to commands of God. Are not, it's not worship. Verse 8, you leave the commandment of God and hold to the traditions of men, must have been a slap in their face because, ooh, we love our traditions, don't we? They were probably thinking, we need them. We need our traditions. What's wrong with traditions? So Jesus exposes their hypocrisy. Let's look at this hypocrisy exposed. He's giving a sad, sick example. Uh, it's evidently a tradition for people to point to things and call them, the, the word here is Corban. It means given to God. And I can see how this tradition would arise in a society that lacked the economic and, and social structures that we have. Uh, how would you protect your assets? Well, they did it by just saying that has been given to God. You can't touch it. Uh, what if I gave my lawnmower to God so my neighbor wouldn't use it? Uh, my neighbor would come and I'd say, I, you can't use it. It's been given to God. Of course, I can use it, but, but you can't. Uh, do you see the flaw in this thinking? Who owns my lawnmower. God does. It belongs to God. Um, uh, whose car did you come in today? Who, who owns your car? Well, your name is going to be on the, the license and registration, but God owns your car. So, you know, drive like it. Take care of it. It's God's car. Um, so income and possessions were given to God, but it, how, how do you give something to God? He already owns it. Their, their, their thinking was, was all wrong. Resources would be unavailable for others to take using this tradition. Um, and they were using this tradition to avoid honoring their parents. It's sad to know that people using traditions similar to this in our society today are refusing to honor their parents. But the commandment of God is clear. Honor your father and mother. 
This may not be easy to honor all parents. Parents are not perfect, and yet we are commanded by God to get this right. The world tries to control our heart. Do you feel the world pulling your heart? Do you feel traditions of the world and society pulling at your heart? Let's look at how the world pulls our heart. In preparing this message, it became painfully obvious that my heart desires things of the world that are not pleasing to God. It's like, you know, where's my source of happiness? Is it the world? Ooh, it pulls out of me. Do you feel the pull? Where's my source of reality, my source of security? Where's my security in life? Is it the world? Where's my, where's my source of significance? And, and, and if it's the world, ooh, no. Can we trust our heart? Jeremiah 17 verses 9 and 10 tell us, the heart is deceitful and desperately sick. I used to work for a guy who used to say all the time, you've got to follow your heart. <laughs> and I'd say, no, no, no. Uh, the heart is, is deceitful. It's desperately sick. We've got stuff in our, in our intellect, our, our emotions, and, and our will. We want the world. So I invite you in being uncomfortable with me at how the world pulls our hearts, how we, we crave the world, move away from God. That's why I'm, I'm going to lead us into craving, turning to the heart-changing life of Christ who gave his life as a sacrifice for sin and the transforming power of the Holy Spirit. Do we want lives of love, joy, and peace? Or anger, confusion, fear? In our heart, the center of our life, if it, if it focuses on tradition, the word of God is made void. You leave the commandment of, of God and hold to the traditions of men. I love Romans 12, verses 1 and 2. Uh, Romans 12, Paul says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what the will of God is, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Do you see the heart in these verses? Because of God's mercy, we can give our lives to him. Because of God's mercy, his love, he draws us to him away from the world. We give our lives, lives that please him, set apart. That's what holy means, set apart for him. Uh, what is spiritual worship? It's moving away from the philosophies, the pull of the world, 
by changing our thinking. He says, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed. It's a battle for the mind, intellect, testing to discern the will of God, will, decision-making, what is good, acceptable, and perfect, emotion, heart. Worship is being pleased with God, recognizing his mercy for you and turning to him changing thinking, emotions, and decisions. Leads us to worship. That's the the big thing here. This is uh, uh, your spiritual worship. And this leads us to, to, to put our heart into our worship. You know, what does this look like? Having a heart for worship. Well, the heart for worship is going to have, like I said, your intellect, your thinking, your emotions, your feeling, and your will, the decisions you make, focused on God. Um, For example, why come to church? Is it to know God or know the world? That's your intellect. And emotion, what do you feel when you worship? What what does the Holy Spirit want us to feel when we worship? Are you pleased with God, adore God, or are you pleased with and adore the world? Emotion. Will, why do you choose to come to church? Do you come to be entertained and get something, or do you come to church to entertain God. We entertain God by giving. We give our confession of sin, our adoration, our pleasure. We don't, we, we, our tithes and offerings, our service. Yeah, we come to give to God. This is worship. You worship God by giving. Will. Jesus condemned the religious leaders for leaving the commandments of God and relying on the traditions of men and the results were tragic. Think of, think of how, the, just, just picture the families. The, the, they, they grow old, they need help from their, from their adult children and they say, no, sorry mom, sorry dad. It's been given to God, you know, out of here. My invitation for you today is to join with me in the uncomfortable awareness of how the world pulls us from God. And join with me in moving away from the world's traditions, philosophies, to worship God in truth, not hypocrisy. I mean, hypocrisy is all about lies. God's all about truth. Join with me in admitting our desire and need to turn to God for the strength and guidance to live for Christ. To our covenant members, I invite you to join with me in being used by God in each other's lives. This is 
support, right? And, and I gotta tell you, uh, thank you so much for supporting the elders and, and each other, uh, growing in discipleship, making disciples. This, this is where it's at. In the Christian life, we are each other's support group, supporting each other in our life of confession, repentance, and Christian growth. We are a community. Are you with me? We worship God by giving. We give tithes, offerings, praise, adoration because we're pleased with him. And that's the question today. Are you pleased with him? Can you worship him? Not by trying to please, please him, you know, not trying to work your way into his favor, but just by being pleased with him and letting your service, letting your work for him flow out of his love, his strength, uh, his power. So we worship by giving God each week. We give God our remembrance for his sacrifice. Now I'll lead us into our time now of the of the Lord's Supper, the, uh, the idea is after a time of prayer and reflection, our members and others who have turned their life over to Christ may come and receive the elements. Those of you who are just checking out this Jesus thing are encouraged to abstain. Instead, let this be your time to settle it Settle it with God. And if you have questions after the service, you know, get with us. If you, if you want to become involved in our community, our support group, by becoming a member, let us know. We've, we've got uh, classes and, uh, and, and uh, we'll meet with you. Um, so after I pray, um, We'll have a time of reflection and, uh, and then you could come and receive the elements. Let us pray. God, this is, uh, this is a challenging message for me. Uh, God, this is, uh, this is asking those tough questions. What's in my heart? Uh, what... Uh, what do I crave that pulls me away from you? It challenged me to, uh, to live that life. And we must live that life of confession, a life of continual uh, repentance. We must admit, stop the denial, we must admit and turn to you. The, the, the conclusion of clinging to the world for our source of, of happiness and security is, is sad. The, the, the conclusion of turning away from you, dear God, it, it, it's just devastating. And I pray, Lord, for now, your spirit to come. Uh, guide us as we spend this time
giving to you, how pleased we are with you, giving to you our remembrance. Because it's in Jesus' name we pray.